Hi, my name is Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Church family, can you hear me now? Hey, I want to give a special thank you to a couple people who work so diligently. Tom, you with me on this? James and Bill, thank you, okay? Um, the devil's always in the details. For those two men up there, uh, they probably work harder than anybody else around here. They're here throughout the week. They're here making sure everything is right. And when we have a glitch like we did today, it's abnormal, and it's because they're so diligent to work. So thank you, gentlemen, up there. Give them a hand, please. So we appreciate you. Appreciate you. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Luke 14, we're going to go through from 1 to 11. And as you're turning there in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardback one in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that Bible home. Let that be our gift to you. Um, we believe that everybody should have a Bible, and we want you to read a Bible, um, know God's Word, study God's Word, and, and live according to God's Word. So please do that. And as you're turning, I want to just give a shout out because I believe that God is doing incredible things around here. And here's what I mean. Last night we had a gathering at our house. Um, and uh, it was a college group gathering. Did y'all know we had a college group? Well, about a month and a half ago, we didn't have a college group. But uh, as of last night, we had 10 students come over to our home, uh, 10 college students. Yeah, can we give a, a hand clap to Jesus for that? And we are just thankful for them. And uh, we had eight in Sunday school this morning, and... Uh, um, we just had a good time. So we're, we're going through the book of Romans together, bit by bit, section by section. And, uh, and so it's good, good stuff. Good stuff. Now, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. I felt like a Catholic today a little bit. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. So we're going to ask you to stand one more time just to round it out. Would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? One Sabbath. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, 
it's lawful, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Verse 4, but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse 7, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by some, by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. Verse 10. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Verse 11. For everyone who, hum- or who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Please be seated. So I want to walk through this passage for just a minute, and then I want to come to two themes. Two themes where I'm going to spend most of my time. Uh, so you see on a Sabbath day, uh, Jesus is in a home of a ruler of the Pharisees, and he's eating dinner. This is what I love about Jesus. You see Jesus in the book of Luke eating with tax collectors and sinners. You see Jesus in the home of Pharisees, eating with them also. I love that Jesus welcomes all who would come to him in faith. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what background you have, Jesus is the most inclusive, exclusive way that there's ever been. He's exclusive in that there's only one way to the Father, but he's inclusive that anyone, anyone, no matter where you come from, what your past is, what your sins are, whether you're, you are a rebel morally or a rebel sinfully, you can, if you come to God through Jesus, you are welcomed in to dine with Christ. And that's good news. It's good news. And so I, I just love that about my Savior. Verse 2 says, and behold, oh, verse 1 finishes, they were watching him carefully. Now, let's just notice that they're not watching him carefully because they love him and adore him. They're watching him carefully because they want a reason to pick him apart, it seems. Now, I want you to know that we don't watch Jesus carefully for that reason. We watch Jesus carefully because we want to imitate him. And so, just note, just note, your eyes should be like the Pharisees, always on Jesus, watching his every move, not to tear him apart or to prove that he's not who he says he is, but because of who he says he is, your eyes should be on Jesus to follow him and to imitate him. Verse 3 says, or 2 says, Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? I love how the Lord works, because it should not be that a man with some infirmity like this would come before the Pharisees on a Sabbath to dine in their house. But in Jesus' good plan, somehow a man with an illness is in the house of the Pharisees at the same time as they're dining together. And so Jesus responds by asking a question. He sees a need and asks the Pharisees a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And we could go back just a few weeks where we, as we've been walking through the book of Luke where we saw this very question being asked and addressed. Well, guess what they do? They remain silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Here's what I love about Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, 
there's a group of people that are drawn to him. Jesus draws people to himself who are needy, who are sick, who are hurting, who are lonely. He draws those who are broken. He draws the sinner to himself. I love that about Jesus. You find Jesus and you find a motley crew all the time, don't you? But I also love that wherever you find the motley crew, you find Jesus. Jesus runs to them, not away from them. Pharisees remained silent. Jesus ran right to this man with dropsy. He ran, went right to him and he spoke to him kindly and he healed him on a Sabbath day. I love that Jesus, my Savior, is not afraid of the mess that we're in. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your infirmity. And not only is he not afraid, but he is entirely able to save you from it. That's good news. It, it continues on. Jesus looks at him, at the group in verse 5. He said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And in that moment, they knew their answer. If they had an ox, an animal, a beast of burden, if they had an animal on that day that fell into a well on the Sabbath day, they would find an excuse to go and help the animal. But when the man with dropsy who is coming before Jesus, Jesus asked, is this, is it okay for me to heal this son of God, this one who is created in the image of God on the Sabbath? They remained silent. Jesus is showing them their hypocrisy in their hearts. Verse 6, and they could not reply to these things. Verse 7 says, now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose places of honor, what, where did they choose? They chose places of honor. Um, they went in and they were looking for the best seat in the house. The best seat in the house. Now we do that a lot. Uh, in the, it, it's a shame. Uh, in, in, in their world, they would choose the place closest to the host or places close, uh, place closest to the guest of honor. They want to be up to the front. But we Baptists. Our place of honor is not near the front, is it? Amen. Somebody, come on now. Doesn't matter how empty a church can be, a good Baptist is going to find the backest row they can. So they chose the places of honor, and he told a parable. Verse 8, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, hey man, get out of here. This is not your seat, it's his seat. You don't deserve this seat, you don't belong in this seat. A person of honor belongs in this seat. If you honor yourself, you might be humble. He says, verse 9, And he who invited you both will come and say, Give your place to this person, then you will begin with, with shame. Can you imagine that walk of shame? Can you imagine you're in that feast and the host comes to you and you're sitting right next to the host like you're all that in a bag of chips and somebody walks up to the, the host walks up to you and says, Hey, See, that guy just walked in, he needs that seat. You need to go sit all the way down at the other end of the table. Yeah, I know you can barely see it, but it's way over there. Go sit in that seat. That seat's reserved for you, special for you. 
Can you imagine that long walk of shame? Don't look at anybody in the eye. I just gave it up, I promise. It was my decision, not his. He says, with shame, you're going to go to the lowest place. So that your host, but, but verse 10, he says, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want to I open this text for us today, and I want to show us two themes in this text. Okay? Uh, two themes. The first theme that I want you to see is the, the theme of a feast. The theme of a feast. Feasts are a big deal in the Bible. Feasts are a big deal in the Bible. Uh, in the next, from, from here all the way to verse 24, is uh, a number of parables about a feast. And so there's a theme that we're going to see this week and next week about a feast. But a, a feast is, is, is a theme throughout the scriptures. Let me prove it to you. The Bible began with a feast in the garden. Did you know that? How do I know that? Because God brought Adam and Eve, put them in a garden. He said, you can eat from any tree you want, as much as you want, except for that tree. There was a feast in the garden. Are you with me, church family? Not only was there a feast in the garden, but there was a host in the garden that walked with them and talked with them in the cool of the day. In the book of Exodus, there's the feast of, the, of unleavened bread and Passover. There's, that's a feast when God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. And we know that it points to Christ, the Messiah. It points to his sinless life, making him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. There's the feast of the Passover in Exodus. Speaks of redemption and how Christ or, or God in the Old Testament, Christ in the New Testament would set us free from slavery to sin. That Jesus was the Passover lamb slain for us. That if we would hide under the blood of Christ, that we would be saved from God's judgment. There's Yom Kippur. Y'all ever heard of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur? Anybody? Yom Kippur, it's the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a 25-hour fast that celebrated, or they repented of sin, laid their hands on a sacrifice, confessed their sin over the sacrifice, that sacrifice was slain, and then they all celebrated because God on that day had dealt with their sins. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Another one is the Feast of Booths, and it began five days after the Day of Atonement, at the time of the fall harvest that had just been completed, and it was a time of joyous celebration. As the Israelites celebrated God's continued provision for them in the current harvest, and remembered His provision and protection during the 40 years in the wilderness, the Feast of Booths. So every year, the people of God were reminded to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Then there was the Feast of first fruits that came after the Passover, and that was a, the, the, the day where they would celebrate the first fruits of their harvest, and they would also point forward to the Messiah. And we know that Jesus is the first fruits of the ones resurrected from the dead. They would celebrate the Feast of Weeks. We call it Pentecost. And it was the fourth spring feast. It was called Shavuot. 
or Pentecost, and it came 50 days after the first fruits, and it pointed to a great harvest that would one day come from the Messiah as he saved both Jew and Gentile. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God inhabited his people. And there was just that, a great harvest of 3,000 souls who were saved and brought to Christ in a single day. Jesus celebrated feasts. He had feasts in the home of many different people. There were tax collectors that he ate in their home. Sinners that he ate in their home. Pharisees that he ate in their home. Listen to this. Jesus initiated his miraculous ministry where? At a feast. A wedding feast in Cana by turning water into wine. Jesus closed his ministry with his disciples at a feast that we know as the Last Supper. Jesus satisfied the multitudes with a feast of loaves and fishes. It says they all ate until they were what? Satisfied. They were full. Jesus restored Peter after he denied him three times. He restored Peter on the bank of the Sea of Galilee with a feast of what? Fish. The Bible begins with a feast. The Bible ends with a feast. Revelation tells us that there's a a day cometh. There's a day cometh. When 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 Jesus is going to return for his bride. And those who trust in Christ will go to heaven and ascend with him. And there will be a feast prepared for those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And it is called the wedding feast. It's not in the first garden, but it's in a new garden. It's in the new Jerusalem. It's in a new heaven and earth. See, feasts are a theme in the Bible. They're a big deal in the Bible. See, dining with somebody in those days was a a big, big to-do. It was symbolic of something. When you dined with something, it was no short process. I'll meet you at Burger King, where in 30 minutes or less you can have it your way, right? That was not it. It, That was not a feast. A feast was an all-day event. If you ate with somebody, if somebody invited you over to their house for dinner, it wasn't, oh, it's in the oven, it'll be ready in an hour, let's just sit and talk until then. No, it was an all-evening event. And it was symbolic. It was symbolic that the one who came to the house to eat with you accepted you. Consider you a friend. There was a relationship that the person inviting had with the one who was invited. It was a process, but it was a symbol of acceptance and friendship and relationship. And all through the Bible, we see feasts. And they are all pointing to Jesus. I need you to hear that. I don't have time to talk about that a lot. But they're all pointing to Jesus in these feasts They remind us that we're created to walk with God. That we've been brought through God's judgment, redeemed from slavery to sin. That God has provided for us miraculously. That God will save us 
uh, save for himself a people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue that our sins have been atoned for. That we are accepted by God, that he calls us friends and he's adopted us as children. See, to get into a, a feast at somebody's house, you either had to be family or invited. We can, we, can, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. He, God, our greatest treasure, Jesus Christ himself, he is the richest of fare. He is sweeter than honey, and he's better than the finest wine you could find. See, the wedding feast to come reminds us that God isn't finished with us. That God is like the father of a, broom, a, a groom and he's preparing the bride to be presented to Jesus in radiant splendor. It reminds us that one day all the hardships of life will be set right as we sit to dine with Jesus in glory. And when I get there, when you get there, and you sit around the table in the new Jerusalem with all the redeemed of the Lord. And you look across the table and you see your Savior's eyes. You will remember in that moment that all the hardships of life, every trial, every tribulation, every bit of suffering and persecution, if that's what it took to prepare me for the feast, I'd do it a thousand times over to get here to this table. See, Christian, listen. The Christian life is not about happiness. God wants you to be happy. No, it's about sanctification. God wants you to be holy. Why? Because there's a feast that only the holy ones of God can attend. And He wants you there. And this is not a holiness that you can achieve. This is not something that you can do. But it's a holiness that you can receive. It's a righteous standing that Jesus accomplishes for you by becoming the bread and the wine. By becoming the Passover lamb who would save us from the judgment of God. By shedding his blood so that we might attend with him in glory. There is an invitation that has been extended to you. The question is not, have you been invited? The question is, what have you done with that invitation? So Jesus responds. He tells a parable. The first theme is the theme of feasts in the Bible. The second theme is the lowly and the humble. The lowly and the humble. This is what he says. Verse 8, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Here's what I don't believe he's doing. I don't believe that Jesus in this moment is telling a parable about how both of these people will be saved. And one of them will be saved with shame. And one of them will be saved to the highest place of honor. I don't believe that's what's happening. Why? Because I don't believe there's any shame at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Are you with me? I don't believe that's what he's doing. I believe what he's painting for us is a picture of the attitude of the one who truly receives the invitation. There is an attitude of those who receive rightly the invitation that God the Father has sent to the bride of the groom. And he says, he talks about this 
This one who seeks out the place of honor. He says, don't seek out the place of honor. Don't exalt yourself or you're going to be humbled. Rather, humble yourself so that I might exalt you. He says, don't seek the highest place at the table. Don't seek the place closest to the host. You seek the place farthest away. You seek the lowest seat in the house. Because it's better to take the lowest seat in the house and be raised up than to take the highest seat in the house and be filled with shame. Know your place in the feast. Do you remember how Jesus, just uh, I think it's the third time that he mentions, I'm going to the cross to die. And in the background, guess who's talking? The disciples are having a conversation about which one's going to be the what? The greatest in the kingdom. And he says, no, 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 you don't get it. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So the greatest among you will be the slave of all. He who's going to be last is the one who puts himself first. And the one who puts himself first will be last. Vice versa. You know what I mean. I didn't say that right. He says, no, don't exalt yourselves. Do you know that we do that? We exalt ourselves a lot. All right, here's the first, the first theme is theological. This one is really practical. Um, we exalt ourselves a lot, and here's what I mean. Here are some ways that we do this, and by we, what I mean is I. And maybe this hits you too. Oftentimes we see, we see people as problems to be dealt with. Rather than people who have been created in God's image that we should love and serve. I know I'm just talking about me. I know I'm not talking about you. We exalt ourselves politically. We, we make ourselves politically superior to everybody else. Is that timely or what? I'm right, they're wrong. I've got all the answers, they don't. We'll then run for president. We see anybody can make it. <laughs> we exalt ourselves politically. We sometimes exalt ourselves socially. That because of my status, my social status, I am superior to that person. We exalt ourselves morally. <laughs> like, that, like the guy in the book of Luke who prays, he stands before the, in the temple and he looks up to heaven he says standing he says oh God thank you that I'm not like him a sinner we exalt ourselves morally well yeah I know I'm bad but at least I'm not as bad as they are insert name here I'm not as bad as that group or I'm not as bad as those guys and we exalt ourselves morally we exalt ourselves physically, because when you're in as superior physical shape as I am, you can exalt yourself. What was that, Tom? Was that Tom? We exalt ourselves racially or ethnically, that, that I am superior to somebody else because of where I came from, because of the color of my skin. We exalt ourselves over people all the time. 
We just, we do. I wish we didn't. I wish I didn't. But I do. Some of us, we say it. We act and we live that way. Some of us, we just think it. We would never say it. We would never act upon it. But our, our thoughts are as words before the Lord. The attitudes of our heart are equally as sinful as the actions of my body. And he says, don't exalt yourself or you're going to be humbled. He says, you both have been invited, but when you come to the feast, you sit in the, the place, the lowly place, not the place of honor. I, I need you to understand, church family, beware, beware if in your heart you feel like you might deserve a place of honor over somebody else. Beware. The Word of God calls that pride. We exalt ourselves to places of honor, and when we do, Jesus promises to put us into our place. And there will be shame that comes with that. So he says, don't, put, don't seek the place of honor. Seek the lowest place. Humble yourself. Verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the question for us is, how do we live as lowly people? How do we live as humble people? And, and I think you could answer this question in a thousand ways, but today I just want to answer it in two simple ways. Number one, Live with a growing awareness of your personal sin. Live with a growing awareness of your personal sin. Turn off the TV. Stop looking at who's doing what out there. Open God's Word. Read it and ask the Holy Spirit of God to teach you not about them, but about me. The Bible is, uh, is likened to a mirror. The Bible is likened to a sword which cuts us and exposes us to the very distinction of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It exposes the intentions of our heart. Let the Word of God do that to you. Is it painful? Yeah. Is it good and useful? Yes. Because when I understand, I live with a growing awareness of personal sin. It leads me to point number two. I live with a growing awareness of the power of the gospel. I live with a growing awareness of the power of the gospel. When I open my eyes, when I open God's word, when I ask the Spirit to convict me of sin, then I understand what the gospel came to do. The gospel didn't come to save good people, did it? Jesus said, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those who know they need a doctor. And when I see myself in light of God's holiness revealed through God's word, I understand the sinful depravity of my own heart. And that's not a bad thing. That's really good for us. Why? Because it puts me to my knees. Not to be like the Pharisee who stood in the temple and said, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like them, but like the sinner. He's knelt down, bowed his face to the ground, beat his chest, and he said, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner.
We live lowly as lowly, humble people by living with a growing awareness of personal sin and then a growing awareness of the power of the gospel. I remember 1 Timothy 1.15. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul says. You can see it in Paul's life. Early on in Paul's life, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. At the end of his life, he said, I'm the foremost of sinners. Paul was growing in an awareness, a self-awareness of personal sin. And you know what that did? It helped him to treasure Jesus more than he ever had. To understand that he couldn't save himself, but only the gospel could save. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So what's the hope? Okay, Ryan, you're telling me to be humble. You're telling me to to be lowly of heart. What's the hope if I'm lowly of heart? There is so much hope. Psalm 147, I I think we have it up on the screen. Verse 2 and 3 says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. How many outcasts are out there? Aren't you glad that Jesus came to gather outcasts? He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Is there anyone heartbroken in here today? Is there anyone who can be broken over their sin? Guess what? The gospel promises that he will bind up your wounds and heal your broken heart. Psalm 149 verse 4 says this, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. If I can take that to its logical opposite... That means that he withholds salvation from the proud. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Is there anybody in here who's received that grace and is thankful for that grace today? He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. See, in the upside-down kingdom of heaven, it's not the proud who get the places of honor. It's the lowly who do. How do I know that? Last one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom. Take that verse, flip it over. Cursed are the rich in spirit, for theirs is not the kingdom of heaven. See, being poor in spirit, knowing my need for a Savior, is, is what gives the Savior room to fill my life with the power of the gospel. When I am emptied out, God says, finally, I can fill you. So as we close today, I want you to know there's a feast. And you're invited. But only the lowly will be exalted to a place at the table. Only those who know their need 
And we live in such a time in history where it is so easy to get high on the horse. Church family, come on. Don't leave me alone up here. It's easy to look down our noses at others. We read this morning in Romans chapter 2 that it's those of us who have God's law, know God's law, but yet don't keep God's law that brings shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time for God's church to humble themselves. Humility is the doorway to so many of God's greatest blessings. I remember one, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, pray. I'll, I'll forgive their sin. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. It's predicated by humility. Lowliness. The greatest in the kingdom are the lowliest on earth. Time for the church to flip that right. There's a feast. You're invited. Only the lowly enter in. Would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for what you're doing in our church family. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. You're speaking to us and over us. I pray, O oh Lord. Lord, first I thank you for inviting every person to the feast of God. I thank you that the invitation is sealed in blood. I thank you that that invitation that Jesus Christ died for all that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I thank you for the promise that the, the blood of Christ is sufficient for all the sins of the world. Well, Lord, I ask that every one of us in this place today would be lowly of heart. That we would know the depth of our own sinfulness. We would know the power then of the gospel. And we would trust in what only Christ can do. That we would not trust in our upbringing. That we would not trust in how good we are. Or how much money we have in the bank. Or how we view things politically. That we would trust this all-sufficient work of Christ Jesus on the cross. And for that, I pray that you would humble us. That at the proper time, you might exalt us. That God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Father, I believe that there are people in this room every weekend who need to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. But all of us need to learn to live a lowly, humble life in heart. Help us to do that, that your name might be honored. in our country, in our city, in our state, in our world. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.